0: see you guys here at the Medina East Campus. And that's always exciting to share when someone decides to go public with their faith in their decision to be baptized. And that's just an awesome thing to see. So congratulations, Howard. And that's awesome to see that. Um, Today, we're actually continuing in a series that we started uh, now a few weeks ago that we've been calling Spaces. And if you're just kind of tuning in with us, basically uh, what we're doing in this series is we're having a conversation about the church. And we're really saying, man, um, what does it mean to be part of a church? What does it mean to be connected to a church? And our hope is that really we can sort of define and maybe for some of us, maybe even redefine uh, what it means to be connected to the church. And so if you're with us, even just a couple of weeks ago, the big idea that we've been unpacking every week throughout this series has quite simply been this. We've been saying that the church, the church is not defined by a space, but that the church defines every space. And so basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to debunk this myth that church, that being part of a church, is simply something that's isolated to one space of your life, one compartment of your life, one location, one building, one place. And we've been saying, man, when you look in the Bible and you start understanding what it means to be part of the church, what we realize is that the church is really, it's about identity. And so for those of us who are put our faith in Jesus Christ, and I know that There are many of you in this room today who would say that you fall in that category. Uh, You have placed your faith in Christ. You would consider yourself a Christ follower. There are some of you who are still trying to figure that out and the verdict is still out, and that's fine. But for those of us who are now following Jesus, who have made a decision to do that, the Bible says that there is an identity change that's taken place and that we now are the church, that it's not a place that you are. It's a person that you are. You are part of the church, and it's because of that we've been saying, man, the church is not strictly, you know, uh, condensed down and defined to a location or to a space, but instead I take that identity with me and it begins to transform every space in my life. And now every avenue, every area of my life is radically changed because of this new identity, because of this new destination I've taken and being part of the church. And so in this series, what we've been doing then is we've been looking specifically at four familiar spaces and how being the church begins to renew and even redefine for us those spaces. And so the four spaces that we've been looking at, just as a quick review, is we've been looking at uh, the large space. Um, The large space, we've been looking at um, the uh, group space, been looking at the personal space, and then we've been looking at the private space. Okay, Those are the different spaces that we've been looking at together. And so the first week we were together, if you were here, um, Clark kind of walked us through a little bit and he talked about the large space, and basically what we were saying is that, uh, that a part, one of the spaces that becomes renewed and transformed when you become part of the church is the large space. And we said that a big part of, of being a church is, is being part of a large space. So what we're doing here on the weekend is actually a, an important part in the life of the church. All right, we come together here. There's something about opening the Bible together, the preaching of the word. Um, there's something about um, us getting a chance to celebrate together, baptism. There's something about us singing together that God uses this large space in our lives, that this is part of the church. But we said this, we said that if that is your only definition of church, if that's the only space in your life where church exists, you're missing out on the full experience that God designs for us, what it means to be the church. And so the, last week when we were together, we started talking about this idea of the group space. And we said, man, another space that becomes transformed when you become a Christ follower, when you become a Christian, you become a part of the church is group space. That, that God has designed for us, if those of us who are part of the church, to be, uh, to be tightly integrated into each other's lives. And that there needs to be a space in which we can practice the one another's, where we can love one another, we can bear one another's burdens, where we can do those things together There needs to be a space where we can share our lives together, and we know that's not going to happen here on the weekends, right? There's too many people here. It's it's not long enough for us to make deep and meaningful connections, and so if we want to live out the life of the church, it requires more than one space. It begins to transform multiple spaces, and so last week, we talked about the importance of life groups, and that's why we do that, is because we believe that to live out the identity of the church, that that has to happen not only in a large space, but also in a group space. Today, we're going to continue talking, and we're going to talk a little bit about this personal space. We're going to get in that in a minute. And then next week, as we finish this out, I want to talk about private space. I want to talk about how being part of the church doesn't simply affect us, but it also affects you. And your private life is something that is defined also by this identity of being part of the church. And the reason we're going through these spaces is because we're trying to give a full picture of what it means to be the church, what it means to be identified with the church, what it means to, to interact with the church in the way that God has designed. And if, if we simply define church by a space instead of all of these spaces, we're missing out on the full experience that God desires for us, and that he intends for us, right? Um, here's maybe a helpful way to think about it. This is helpful for me, I don't know if it's helpful for you, but one of the, uh, the illustrations and analogies that comes to my mind when I think about this idea of spaces, I think of Apple products. Um, I am uh, kind of an Apple guy. I like Apple products. I know some of you are into droids and other um, less worthy devices, but I like Apple. And um, I remember, I I don't even know what I'm talking, I don't know nothing about technology, but I know that um, I like Apple. And I remember the very first Apple device I got um, was an iPad. That was my first device. It was the generation one iPad. And I got it as a gift. A group of my friends surprised me. They all went in for my birthday and they bought this, this, this iPad for me. And I'm telling you, when I got that thing, um, it was just revolutionary to me, and all of a sudden, for me, it was like a one stop shop I could do everything I wanted on that one device and so I could check my email. I could, you know, calendar put put all the stuff on my calendar on that iPad. I could play video games. I could gaze at the stars with the iPad. I could play Angry Birds. All the important things, you know. Um, I could I could go through the, you know, go and uh, browse the web. I could read books on it. You could get Kindle on it. You could get iBooks on it. You could listen to music on it. I mean, this thing was revolutionary, and I had it with me all the time. And so I would take notes on it, I would read books on it, I would do all that kind of stuff, and it just changed my life. Well, of course, because I fell in love with this iPad, I I decided that I was going to get another Apple product when it came time, and my second Apple product was an iPhone, right? So I got my iPhone, and I thought, oh, this will be really cool. It's like a little iPad, you know? And so I got it, but when I got the iPhone, and many of you, maybe if you're an Apple person, you've probably experienced this too, I realized very quickly when I got my iPhone, that this was not simply me having two Apple products anymore. All of a sudden, I was introduced to the Apple experience. And, and I'm serious, if you, if you guys have multiple Apple products, you know how this works. They, they don't simply, it's not like addition. It's not like you have an iPad and you have an iPhone. This is like exponential growth. Because what happens is you, that now they share together. They actually complement each other. Um, they, they make each other better. And so because of this mysterious thing called the cloud, right, there, there is this amazing thing that happens with Apple products. So, so I would go onto my calendar and I would set an event and I would do that on my iPad and then I would look on my phone and there it was on my phone. I this just working. All my contacts that were on my iPad were immediately on my iPhone. I would start reading a book on my iPad and I would go to my iPhone when I was in the checkout line and it would pick up on the page that I left off on. I mean, this was incredible, right? And each one of these devices was designed for a particular environment, for a particular use. But when they were together, the power was amazing. And then I got my MacBook and I was introduced to a whole new level of reality. And, and each one of these devices were devices that were designed for particular spaces, right? The phone is used for phone. Uh, the, the, the tablet is used for certain things that I wouldn't use it for the things. But each one of them complements each other there's a symbiotic relationship between these things. Now, the thing I don't have yet is the Apple Watch, but I understand when you get that, man, it's just like mind-blowing when you have the whole thing. But okay, that's not a perfect illustration, but I think you get what I'm saying. What we're saying is um, that if you simply define church by a space, that's it. If you're like, I just do the weekend services, that's all I got, but I'm not real connected to a group and I don't really have good Christian friendships and I don't really have a personal walk with Jesus, I'm telling you, you're missing out on the full experience that God desires for you, what he means by the church, you're missing out, right? If you're like, I just have a personal walk with God, but I don't have you know, a committed you know, group that I'm part of, I don't go on the weekends all the time, I'm telling you, you're just missing out on the experience because there is a symbiotic relationship. It's not just addition, man, this is exponential growth that God desires for us in the church. So when we're talking about spaces, that's what we're talking about. We're trying to give you a well-rounded picture of what the life of the church looks like and how that plays out. And so today what I wanna do is I wanna talk about this idea of the the personal space. And here's what I mean by personal space. I'm talking about the one-on-one, the one-on-few type of friendship. So the large group space, we're talking about a a weekend service, something big like this. We're talking about group space. We're kind of talking about life groups, about small groups, you know, kind of that 12 to to kind of that that group of people. Today I wanna talk about the importance of, of spiritual friendships and relationships in those one-on-one, one-on-two, those, those kind of small knit things and how those are important and how God uses those. So to do that, I wanna invite you to take your Bibles with me, if you would, and we're gonna to go to Acts chapter two. Okay, so we're gonna to go to Acts chapter two this morning. And um, let's go ahead and flip there if you got your Bibles, Acts two. And you're gonna find Acts chapter two, by the way, if you did not bring a Bible with you, we have some laid out there for you. It's gonna be page 759 in those Bibles that we have laid out there for you, so Acts two. Now, as you're flipping to Acts chapter two, let me just give you a little background on this passage before we jump in. So, if you were with us the first week of Spaces, Clark talked us through the large group space, and we began in Acts 2. And basically, what happens in Acts chapter 2, the Bible tells us in Acts 1, Jesus Christ raises from the dead. He comes to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, and he says to them, I'm about to go, about to ascend to go back to heaven. I'm going to send the Spirit, I'm going to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, to you. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the church is going to begin. And that's exactly what happens. In Acts chapter 2, we see the first day of church. This is the first time the church ever um, happens. It's day one. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes just like, um, just like Jesus predicted would happen. And that the uh, apostle Peter was empowered with the Holy Spirit. He stood up, preached the very first sermon. And so there it is, large group space. The Bible says that he preached to a large group of people. God used the preaching of the word like he does and the Bible says that that day, 3,000 people were added to their numbers, a megachurch, instantly. But then I want you to see what happens, because what happens next is an integral part to the church life. Now watch this. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 41, so we're going to start. So Peter preaches this amazing sermon. A bunch of people come to know Jesus. A bunch of people accept the gospel. Those who accepted his message, Peter's message, that's the gospel, they were baptized, And then about 3,000 were added to their number that day. It's a big number. Now look at this, verse 42. This is so cool. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to one another as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved daily, right? That's an amazing passage. In fact, many commentators would tell you that this is the most ideal picture of Christian community that we have in the Bible. I mean, here you see this group of people. The Bible says they respond to the gospel. And as, a, as, as, a, as a, um, a response to the gospel, one of the things that begins to take place is they start to, to experience this quality of relationships that's just off the charts, man. And the Bible tells us that they are devoted to the, to the teaching of, the, of the, uh, the, the apostles. And so they're sharing with each other what they're learning. Um, there's a deep devotion. The Bible says that they're sharing food together, which I'm always like pro that. They're getting together, they're sharing meals. The Bible says they're opening their homes to each other daily. I mean, these guys are like in each other's lives. The Bible says that whenever someone has a need, that they would give of their possessions, of their money, and they would, they would help each other out. Um, the Bible says that in this, in this passage that they gave, them, they gave each other time. And I mean, we have a picture here of something that is really, really unique. I mean, this quality of relationship to us is foreign. I mean, in our culture, we look at this and we're like, that's weird, man. That is just nothing like we've ever seen before, just that depth and quality of relationship. And let me just say that, that what we're looking at here in this passage can be summarized in one word. And the passage actually does it for us. I want you to notice a word that's used here in verse 42 to describe what's happening. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, here's the word, fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, that's an interesting word. And already when I mentioned that word, we got some problems. Because that word has been so um, devoid of any meaning in our culture. It has been so trivialized, right? That when I say the word fellowship, it's been so churchized that many of us, when we think of fellowship, we tend to think of like a fellowship hall right? We think of like coffee and donuts and hanging out and eating subpar food and drinking subpar coffee. That's what we tend to think of and having, and having a kind of shallow conversations. That's what we tend to think of when we think of fellowship, but that is not at all what the Bible has in mind. This word that's used for fellowship is a very, very powerful word. It's only used a few times in the New Testament. It's a word called koinonia in the Greek, and what it literally means is this, is it means sharing, It means to have in common. What do you see in this passage, man? That's what you see. You see, these people are sharing life. I mean, in a deep and meaningful way. And so for our purposes today, I don't want to use the word fellowship. I actually want to use a different term. And I want to use this term because I think that it's going to be helpful for us. And I also think it's going to be practical and challenging if I use this term instead. The term I want to talk about today is I want to talk about spiritual friendships. I just want to think about it this way. Spiritual friendships. And I want to use that term because I believe that in this passage, what we're actually looking at could be characterized as a deep sharing of life. We could call it spiritual friendships. And what I want to do today is I want to talk about, and kind of not only from this passage, but a few other passages too, I want to make three observations today about spiritual friendships. Three observations, and that's it, and then we'll be done here's the three observations I wanna make. I'll just tell them to you right out of the gate and then we'll go through one by one and explain them. The three observations I wanna make about spiritual friendships is number one, okay, spiritual friendships are needed. We're gonna talk about that, they are needed. Here's number two, we're gonna talk about this, spiritual friendships are discovered, okay, they are discovered. And then lastly, what I wanna talk about is this, is that spiritual friendships are made. All right those three things like what are you talking about? Well let's just dive in and I'll show you what I'm talking about. So here's the first one as we go through these I want to talk about this idea spiritual friendships are needed. They are needed. Now this is implied in this passage but one of the things I love about Acts chapter 2 is it tells us that one of the results of the gospel coming into a person's life, Jesus coming into a person's life when they make a decision to follow Jesus is that one of the products of that is that there is this deep community that God intends for us. See, and the reality is that this is something that's congruent with all the scripture teaches us. You guys, one of the things the Bible tells us is that friendships, that relationships, that deep connections with other people, and especially for those of us who follow Jesus, deep friendships with other Christians is a necessary thing that God has created us for. Um, There's a really interesting uh, rhythm that you see in the book of Genesis. Some of you might be aware of this, but in Genesis one and two, before sin even enters the world, The Bible tells us that there is this rhythm in creation. And basically it tells us this. In Genesis, you can read it yourself sometime. But in the book of Genesis, it explains how God creates something. And then every time he creates something, every day he pauses, he takes in what he is and admires what he has created. And the Bible says that God declares it is good. And so this happens time after time. I think it happens seven times in the book of Genesis. God creates, he pauses, he admires, he declares it is good. So the Bible says that God creates the the earth, he creates the heavens, he looks at it, he pauses, he admires it, and he says it's good. And then the Bible says he creates the sky, he creates the clouds, he creates all those things. He pauses, he looks at it, he says it is good. And each successive step of creation, this rhythm takes place, God creates the animals, right? The animals of the land. He creates the animals of the sea, right? He makes the jellyfish. He sees it, he says, It is weird, right? And then he says, but it is good. And he declares every successive step of the way. He sees it, he creates it, and then he says it's good. Well, when God creates Adam, something strange happens, and that rhythm is broken. The Bible says that God creates Adam, and he sees that Adam has no suitable helper. And this is before sin. This is before Genesis 3. And the Bible says that God looks at Adam, and he sees that he has a need for relationship, and he says it is not good for man to be alone. And out of that need, God creates Eve, and out of Adam and Eve, relationships and family and the human interacting and relationships are developed from that. You see, what we see is that from the very beginning, God has created us as relational people. Now, we were never intended to be alone. It is not good for us to be alone. We need to be connected to each other. God himself is a relational God, Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. And the Bible tells us that we are created in his image. And that means because we are image bearers that by necessity, God has created us with a need for relationships, a need for human interacting, a need for friendships in this way. That is to say it this way, it is impossible to enjoy paradise alone. Adam's in paradise, he's in the garden and God looks and he says, you're missing something though. You need someone to share this with. You need a, a, someone that you can that you can interact with in a deep and meaningful way. And relationships are needed. And you guys, this is something that's consistent to the Bible. That 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 this is not relationships are not just simply a luxury. Friendships are not just simply a luxury. They are a necessity. Something God has designed us for. And this is something that, of course, not only the Bible affirms, but man, you look at like some of the the recent studies and psychiatrists and and uh, and. And, uh, and doctors and all kinds of, I mean, all kinds of evidence is coming out about what isolation can do to a person. And so, for example, I just, this is just a quick article. You can find a dozen of them. Um, but um, Newsweek released an article that talked about the importance of friendships. It talked about social isolation, and, and here's what it found. Social I- isolation in all adults has been linked to a raft of physical and mental ailments. And so a lack of friendships causes stress levels to rise. It's linked to sleep disorders, causes high blood pressure. A lack of friendships is linked to an increased risk of depression and suicide. A lack of friendships can weaken your immune system. And we see all these things happen. In fact, I think it's interesting, neuroscientist John T. Cassioppo from the University of Chicago said this. He said that how lonely you feel today actually predicts how well you're going to sleep tonight. Then listen to this. And it also predicts how depressed you're going to feel a year from now. There's something about isolation. It affects us. Uh, there's been studies that have shown that people that have good friendships in their life, deep and meaningful friendships, but have bad habits, um, like like eating the wrong foods or like drinking or like smoking or those type of things, live longer than people who have good health habits but don't have deep friendships. It's like John or- Ertberg said. He said it so well. He said, that means it's better to eat Twinkies with friends than to eat broccoli alone. And I agree with that <laughs> statement. We got to have friendship. And, and look, this is no surprise to us, it's just affirming to us what the Bible already teaches. You need this, we need this. God has created this as a need inside of all of us and especially if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, the Bible is gonna tell us in many ways that there are, there are so many um, graces that God wants to bestow on your life in which the means by which he accomplishes those is through friendships. And I could give you a litany of verses, but let me just give you a few to make my point. All right, just a few. Some of the benefits that we see in Scripture about having spiritual friendships, here's just a few. Here's the first thing I'll mention to you. The Bible tells us that through spiritual friendships, we find sharpening and we find self-understanding. That one of the benefits to having spiritual friendships, why we need them, is because through them, God accomplishes in us sharpening and he accomplishes self-understanding, so let me just give you a couple verses on this. Uh, Proverbs chapter 27, verse six. It says this, it says wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You guys see what that's saying? It's kind of said in a poetic way, but what it's saying is a friend who is willing to tell you what you need to hear and not just what you wanna hear is a good friend. And you find someone like that, someone who loves you enough to tell you things, the blind spots that you have, um, aspects in your life where, where, where you're not aware of it, but man, maybe you're, you know, what, you know what I'm talking about? That kind of friend, the Bible says, is something God wants for you. And that you and I will never have a fully adequate view of ourselves, we'll never have a, a good idea of who we are without other people speaking meaningfully into our lives. And, and this is something that God desires for us. He wants us to, to have this awareness and he brings about it through spiritual friendships. Look at this verse here in Proverbs twenty seven seventeen. Many of you guys are probably familiar with this verse. It's a great one. It's iron sharpens, sharpens iron, so one sharpens another. says the Bible says that the way that God wants to sharpen us, that he wants to refine our characters, that he wants to take off the rough spots in your life is by a deep and close connection it is, it is two lives that are rubbing up against each other. Man, that requires proximity, that requires pressure, that requires, you know, there, there has to be a, a deep connection for that to happen. And the Bible tells us that a lot of the sharpening that God desires in your life is going to happen in the context of relationships, of spiritual relationships where you love each other, you care about each other, you're not afraid to tell each other what you need to hear. There's a mutual commitment to that. There's an agreement between each other. Man, you're gonna help you and you're gonna help me. We're going to follow God together, and we're going to help each other, right? And the Bible says that, that God wants to accomplish that in your life, and the means by which he does that is through close relationships. Here's another one. The Bible tells us that through spiritual friendships, God provides in our lives anchoring. Spiritual friendships provide anchoring for us. Um, there's, a, there's many verses on this, but I'll give you a really good one. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. The writer of Hebrews says, See to it, brothers and sisters none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Okay, so look what he says next. So how, how do we see to it? How, how do we make sure that we don't have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from God? How do we do that? What he says in verse 13, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now let me ask you a question. If that's gonna happen, if you're gonna encourage someone daily, What is required for that to take place? Man, there must be a deep commitment and a relationship and a friendship with that person for that to happen. If you're going to encourage someone in a meaningful way, you have to know that person. You have to know their struggles. You have to know their weaknesses. You have to know their strengths. You have to know them well enough to encourage them. It requires friendship for that to happen. And if you're to do it daily, man, that that means there's got to be some proximity there, man. That means this is where where texting and emailing and Facebooking and hanging out and getting coffee and seeing you at life group and seeing you on Sunday, that's where this stuff matters. Because it's the daily life. And the Bible says this. The Bible says that each one of us, naturally in our hearts, and no one's exempt, all of us are this way, we all have a wandering heart. All of us naturally in our own hearts have a proclivity to wander away from God and to wander into the deceptiveness of sin. And so the Bible says that God has created a tethering system to tether us to the heart of God so that we don't wander too far. And that tethering system that God has created is spiritual friendships. Encourage one another daily, right? Stick with each other, help each other, be committed to each other so that you're not deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. You're not led astray by the deceitfulness of sin. Because one of the things the Bible tells us is that isolation is never a good thing. Never a good thing. Now, having a private relationship with God is a great thing. We're going to talk about that next week. But isolating yourself from, from, from other people in a meaningful way is a very dangerous thing. I'll just tell you this much. Practically speaking, I know that's true. Um, in the 10 years that I've done ministry, and I know that's not a super long time, but I can just tell you in my 10 years of experience, every time that I've seen someone move into isolation, it has never been good. Like, I've never seen someone's, like, we, I've never been like, hey, where's such and such been? We haven't seen them for a long time. And then, like, I run into them at the store, and they're like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I was just so busy baking muffins for the homeless and feeding the poor. And, like, I, that never happens. It's always like, oh, man, I got alone, and I got in trouble, and my marriage is a wreck, and I got alone, and I got caught up in this secret addiction and man, it is taken, it's to, isolation is, I'm just telling you, it never, it never leads to good places. And, and that's why the Bible says one of the ways that God wants to produce this grace in your life, that he wants to, to tether you to his heart, is through um, spiritual friendships, right? Here, here's another one, this will be the last one I should, I guess I can give you a ton of these, but let's give you one more. One of the benefits of Christian friendships, of spiritual friendships, the Bible tells us, is that we have increased freedom from, he, from uh, increased freedom in healing from sin. Did you know that? Did you know that in the context of spiritual friendships that God has freedom for you from, from the struggles that you have in this life? That God has increased freedom for you from that? And let me show you what I'm talking about. Here, uh, this is in James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Now, let me, once again, let me ask you a question. What is gonna be required for you to be in a situation where you feel comfortable, not, not just comfortable, but where you're able to confess your sins to another person. What's gonna, what's that gonna that's gonna require a relationship. I'm not just gonna come up to you and bare my soul to you. That, that takes time, it takes relationship, it takes, it takes trust, it takes a mutual commitment. But the Bible says this, the Bible says that God desires us not simply to confess our sins to him, Which is good. We need to confess our sins to God. But the Bible doesn't say to stop there. The Bible says, no, 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 we should confess our sins to each other. And why? Because God says that it's through that means, it's through confessing to another person, that, that that person can pray for you, and it's going to lead to healing that God wants for you. That you're going to find victory over your sins, not alone. That that if there's a, a struggle that you have in private or if there's something you're dealing with in isolation and you haven't told anyone and you're dealing with it by yourself, the Bible says the key to victory that God has provided for you is spiritual friendships in which you are able to freely talk about what you're struggling with, have that person pray for you, and experience the healing that God desires for you. This is a grace that God wants in your life and the means by which he accomplishes it, the Bible tells us, is through spiritual friendships. It's the context that it happens. And so I hope, I hope you get the picture. I could go on and on, but spiritual friendships are needed. They are needed. And if you don't have this in your life, um, you might be forfeiting one of the greatest means by which God wants you to grow, right? Through spiritual friendships. Okay, so here's the second thing, and I'll go faster on these last two because I spent a lot of time on that. But first and foremost, spiritual friendships are needed. Here's the second one. Spiritual friendships are discovered. They're discovered. Now, this, let me explain what I mean by this because this is a really important point. Um, because the last thing I would want you to do is to go out of here and saying, see, that's it. I need friends. I need to go find some friends. And, and the reason is because of this, all right? Uh, if the goal of your friendship is friendship, that is a lame friendship, all right? If you're like, let's get together and be friends. That's so dumb, right? It's not going to work. And, and what I mean to say is this, friendships have to be centered on something, They can't be made of nothing. They gotta be made of something. And I want you to notice in this passage in the book of Acts, just notice again, look at verse 41 and verse 42. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added that day. So check this out. These people heard the gospel about Jesus, about how Christ died for their sins and about how they could have a relationship. They heard about that. They accepted that message. And then the Bible says, look at verse 42, they devoted themselves to that message And then fellowship took place. And here's what I want you to notice. This isn't like, this isn't the goal, okay? The goal isn't fellowship. Fellowship is the result of a deeper commitment to the mission, to, uh, to growing in, knowing, following Jesus. It's centered around the gospel. That's how these friendships are forged. When you respond to the gospel, it calls us to, and it brings us into, Spiritual friendships, they're centered around that together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And as a result of that, community blew up, right? And, and so I've said this many times before, and I'll say it again. Um, I, don't, I don't even know where this quote originated from. I've been trying to track it down, and I can't track it down. So I'm just going to take credit for it. Um, but the quote goes like this. It says that if you aim at community, if community is your goal, you get neither mission nor community. But if you aim at mission, you get both community and mission, right? You're like, what, what are you talking about? Well, let me give you an illustration. So like many of you guys, been following the calves, right? It's been fun and I will, I will admit it, I am a fair season fan. I have not watched any regular season games. And so I apologize if, if you're like, you know, if you hate me for that, but I've just been watching the finals, but I've been loving it, it's been awesome. And my favorite game so far in the finals um, is, has been game three. That was an awesome game to watch. And it was just something about being home court Just the energy and the excitement. It was just so fun to watch. The teamwork was incredible. And uh, my favorite part of that game at the end of game three was right down to the wire. It was so close. It was so close. And then finally, at the fourth quarter, the, the buzzer sounded. And LeBron had the ball. You remember, he was so excited. You guys remember this, man? He took the ball, and he spiked it, like, as hard as he could. And the ball just went flying, like, a 1,000 feet in the air because he's so strong. And then he immediately just, like, gave the most barbaric yell. He's like, Rah! flexed every muscle in his body. And then he starts fist-pumped and, like, crazy, you know? And then I love this next part. You guys remember, he runs over to Matthew Della Vidova, who had the greatest game ever, Right? And he goes to Della Vedova and he gives him the biggest man hug. I mean, all out embrace. In fact, I brought a picture of it, right? So here's the picture of that <laughs> hug. Like, you know what I mean? And, uh, and as I was watching it, and if you guys are watching it too, I was like, I want to be part of that hug. <laughs> I, felt like, I felt like this whole game, I've been, in, I want to go hug you, Matthew Della Vedova. <laughs> you know? That's the way I felt. But here's the crazy. I want you to keep that picture up for a minute. I want you to imagine for a minute if you guys knew nothing about basketball. Okay, you knew nothing about basketball, and I said, and you said, "Hey, what's basketball like?" I was like, oh, "Oh, let me tell you about basketball. Here's basketball. This is what it means to play basketball. It's about teamwork, camaraderie, friendship. You wear jerseys and you hug each other. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like fun?" My guess is you guys would be like, "I don't want to play basketball." That sounds terrible, right? And, and listen, I think sometimes, you guys, we, we look at passages about community. We're like, look at how they shared their lives together. Man, they loved each other. Look at how they, look, they loved each other. And a lot of people are like, oh, that's Christianity. That's our goal. And I'm like, that's lame. It, it only, that, this type of community, this type of love only makes sense in the context of a shared goal, of a shared mission, of a shared commitment to each other. And it's only in that context that true friendships can be developed. Because if you aim at community, if our goal is to get along, it ain't gonna work. But if our goal is to follow Jesus, and I'm gonna help you and you're gonna help me, and we're gonna tell the world about Christ, and man, we have a message and we have a mission, the, it, the Bible says it's in that context that real friendships are developed. If you don't have that, you're missing that. That's why, if you've ever watched Band of Brothers, you, you listen to these guys, man, 18 years old, right? They go off to war together and they fight a mission together. And, and, and they tell us that, the, that in these interviews in Band of Brothers, they're like, these guys are closer than my family, which is a problem in itself. But what they're saying is, we fought a mission together and we became friends. It wasn't the other way around. Right? It wasn't like the government got a bunch of 18-year-olds in a room and said, "Let's just lock the door and the goal is to be friends." Go ahead. They would kill each other if that was the case. They said, "No, no, no, no. Fight a battle. Friendships will be forged in the trenches." And it's the same way uh, with, with with Christian friendship. It's got to be made of something. It can't be made of nothing. Right? And so friendships are needed. Friendships are discovered. Here, here's the, the last one. Um, friendships are made. Friendships are made. Some of you are thinking to yourself, now wait a minute, isn't that a contradiction? Didn't you just say friendships are discovered, that they just happen in the context of the mission, that they're not, they're not something you force or in other kind of things? Well, let me just say it's not a contradiction, it's a tension. It's a tension that has to be managed. And here's the tension. The Bible does explain to us that this type of friendship requires an all-out commitment. And, and let me just show you the word that's used here. Look at verse 42 again. The Christians there, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and a prayer. A key word there is I want you to notice is this word devoted. The Bible says they were devoted to this. That's a that's a very, very very strong word in the Greek language. Let me give you its, its meaning. Devoted means steadfastly attentive. It means to persevere and not grow faint. Look at this, it means constant readiness. I am constantly ready for this. I, I am I am devoted to this, man i am all in right a steadfast perseverance meaning continual and and i want you to notice the bible says they were devoted not only to the gospel they were devoted to fellowship and and what that means is this quite simply it means that relationships and friendships take work Man, this, this work to be involved in each other's lives in this level to be connected and committed Like we see in Acts chapter 2, this picture of community that we see. If we're going to see that happen, that don't just happen. That is a result of a commitment to the gospel. That is a result of a deep and profound steadfastness, readiness for these type of relationships to take place. And so friendships, spiritual friendships, are needed. They are discovered and they're made. Now, all that cues up to this question. So I've been teeing up this conversation. Here's my question for you now do you have these types of friendships in your life? Um, I'll ask it this way, and specifically to those who followed Jesus. If you're a Christian, do you have spiritual friendships? Now, let me just clarify that a little more. Have you, let's just get real practical, have you in the past two weeks shared with somebody else your deep struggles? Um, have you been able to encourage another person in a meaningful way? Have you been able to interact and share life with someone who has the same goal that's committed to the gospel? Does that exist in your life in a meaningful way? And let me just say that if it doesn't, okay, for some of you, you're like, actually, yeah, it does. And if that's the case, that's awesome. And my, and my encouragement is, man, don't give up on that, all right? Stay, stay committed to that. Don't forsake the getting together of, of the believers. Don't forsake that. It's an important thing. We need it, man. It's discovered and it's made, right? If you don't have it, let me just say, you are part of the growing population today. Now, one of the recent, recent statistics, and I don't know how much you can trust statistics because they change all the time, but one of the most recent statistics in America is that one of four people say they have no friendships at all, no close friendships. And, and that is a growing statistic. In the past 10 years, it's been off the charts to see isolation and loneliness occur um, in our country. And if you don't have those relationships, some of you are thinking to yourself, well, how do I get there? How do I get there? And, and, and what's keeping me from that? And I don't have all the answers to that, but let me just give you a few thoughts and suggestions. What could be keeping you from those spiritual friendships? And I think that really there might be three things that are keeping you from those types of friendships. And it's exactly what we talked about. Here's the first one. I think that maybe the reason that you, if you don't have that in your life is because you don't think that you need them. And the first point was that spiritual relationships are needed. And some of you, quite honestly, you just don't buy that. You don't think you need it right? And and the reality is, if you don't think you need it, you're not going to prioritize it. And the moment that you realize that you need this, and I'm telling you, the Bible tells you, you need this, and others need you, right? The, the moment you realize that, all of your excuses will not make sense anymore. They'll evaporate. Because a lot, a lot of us have the excuse, well, I'm just too busy for this, man. I'm Just too busy. Life is busy. We're running around. Got this thing, got that thing. But listen, if this is a real need, like a need that God has put in you, that that excuse makes no sense. That's like saying, I'm too busy to eat. I'm just too busy. I'm too busy to sleep, right? I'm just way too busy to do it. I'm like, that, that's, that's, that's ridiculous because you know that if that's your position, that your humanity is going to, to come to a crash. There's going to be a collision. When you're, when you're um, I guess pride would be the right one. Your pride and, and your humanity are going to have a crash course collision, right? If you need this, if it's something God has created you for and he has, then, then one of the things you come to realize is that you need it. And for some of you, the reason you don't have this in your life is because you, you don't think you need it. And my hope and my prayer is that you realize that one of, one of the ways that God wants to dispense this grace in your life, many graces in your life, is through the context of spiritual friendships. For some of you, the reason you don't have this is because you haven't realized yet that spiritual friendships are discovered. Some of you have been trying to get friends because you want friends. You're like, oh, let's be friends. Let's just be friends. And, and you, like we were talking about, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. It has to be centered around something. And maybe the reason you don't have spiritual friendships is because you're not on mission with anybody. Right? You're, not, you're not engaged in the mission. And maybe you, maybe you attend on the, you know, on, on the fringes or you're the ninja who sneaks into service and then sneaks out. You don't have any. But, and, and, so, so that, and that's fine, right? But you're missing something. You're missing something because it's only when you engage that, man, all of a sudden, these relationships start to, to, to spring up. They're discovered. For some of you, you need to get connected to a life group. Man, go to a life group. Get connected into a group of people who are committed to growing in Christ and growing in each other. Now, we don't do this perfectly. By goodness, we don't do this perfectly at all. But there's something about when you get in that context that spiritual friendships can form. Now, hear me on this. It is very possible to attend a weekend and to go to to a life group in the week and still have no spiritual friendships. And the reason is because maybe for some of us we need to realize that spiritual friendships are made, that they're made. I don't know why this is, and um, I'm trying to figure out how to put this right now. Uh, I don't know why this is the case, but it seems to me for whatever reason, many of us and myself included have come to this weird conclusion that if something is not easy, that it must not be good. And I don't know where we came up with that because my guess is you like like me understand this, anything in life that's worth anything requires fighting for it. True or false? Man, I think about marriage. Um, to, have a, to have a strong and vibrant marriage, right? Man, that, that ain't going to come easy. Marriage is hard work. It's hard work. It's good work. Oh, it's good work. But it's hard work, right? Um, raising kids is not easy. Man, is it challenging. Tests my patience. Reveals my humanity. My kids are so imperfect. I don't know where they get it from. But, but is it, it's hard work, right? But oh my goodness, it is good work. It is the right work. You guys, following Jesus requires fight, doesn't it? God's grace is free, absolutely. God's grace is lavished upon us. We don't have to work for God's grace. But it's like Dallas Willard said, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. This thing takes work, man. Spiritual relationships take work, and my my fear is that for some of us, we just, the first sign of trouble, the first sign of hardship, we just quit. And so whenever we're threatened by another person's humanity or our humanity, and there's a fear of getting hurt, or whenever the busyness of life overwhelms us, or whenever the allure of entertainment overpowers us, it, it begins to choke out our devotedness to this. And, and, and I think for some of us, the reason we don't have this is because we haven't realized that these are made, that it takes work, it takes effort. Um, I'll give you a quote, and then we'll be finished. Um, there was a book that was written recently. It was, uh, it's called The Lonely American. Pretty interesting read. It's a statistical analysis of loneliness in America today. Fascinating read, by the way. But I want you to notice what the authors say, Olds and Schwartz. They said this, the ideal for many people has been a life free from social obligations. If a life freed from social obligations is a better life, why are people not happier, they say. Shared commitments and shared obligations continue to be the most reliable paths to friendships. We think that obligations have gotten a bad rap. People who feel that they should only see others when they really feel like it will over time tend to see less and less people. Isn't that true? That is so true. Whenever I feel like, well, I'm just gonna see people when I feel like it. And over time, less and less and less and less and less, I am not going to see other people, right? Look at this next thing. If you spend much time ruminating over whether you really feel like seeing seeing someone while also wondering if there is something else you would rather do, you quickly lose the rhythm of regular connection that keeps people feeling close to one another. A sense of obligation turns out to be the glue that holds people together during rough patches. That glue is essential because there are always rough patches in any relationship. Now, this is a fascinating thing he concludes with. A web of relationships is like a hammock that holds a person safely above the hard ground of depression. Isn't that interesting? For some of us, we think to ourselves, man, I'm too tired to have these type of, this sounds exhausting. But did you know it's very possible that, it, that your exhaustion might actually be caused because of your lack of relationships? It's like working out, you know what I mean? When you work out, like sometimes you're like, I feel too, I, too, I feel too out of shape to work out. Like, well, that's, that's funny because that's the only solution to you being out of shape, right? Some of you are like, I feel too tired. I feel, I'm so exhausted. I don't have time for this. And well, you're created for this. And it's very possible that one of the reasons you're battling depression, not everyone, but maybe for some of you, maybe the reason you're battling depression is because you don't have these tight relationships. Maybe the reason you're fighting this sin and you won't find victory is because you're not taking advantage of this means that God has developed and is designed for you. So spiritual friendships... Are, they are needed, they are discovered, and they are made. I ask the band to come up, and as they do, um, I'm just going to close our time in prayer. And maybe for you, you just want to join with me. And for some of you, you're like, I don't have this in my life, but I need this. Why don't we just ask God together that He would help you and that He would bring you to a place of these relationships? All right. So let's close. Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you that you have designed us for friendships. And uh, God, it's not—it's e- just not easy. But um, man, is it important! And Father, for those of us who follow you, we see so clearly that being part of the church doesn't just require you know uh, visiting a place on the weekend, which is important. It's not just a large space; it's not just a group space. But there's also a personal space, friendships, connections, play, where we can share life in a meaningful way, confess our sins, bolster each other, help each other not for the sake of friendship, but for the sake of mission. So Lord, I pray that you would um, strengthen our hearts that way. God, for the person in this room who's lonely, Father, that ache inside of us of loneliness is something that you have designed because it, it reveals to us our need. And God, I'm so thankful that you have called us your friends. We are your friends, Jesus. You've made us your friends. It's awesome but Lord, you also have called us into relationships with each other. And so I pray for that person who today is feeling lonely. I ask you, Lord, that you would help them. Lord, help them, give them grace. Help them, it's hard to step out of your comfort zone. It's hard to engage when you you feel like you're disconnected. And so I pray that you would give them grace, but help them to see that this is a desire you have for them. And Lord, I ask you, you would bring people into their lives, bring friendships into their lives that are deep and meaningful, that are gospel-centered, that are about you. Father, you you have provided us for everything we need. We need, so I pray we take advantage of it. And uh, Lord, I ask you that you would set inside of our hearts a holy, um, I guess a holy devotion to this. Lord, it's, even as I'm saying this, I know that what I'm talking about is abnormal. This is not normal. It's not something that we see in our culture today. This type of relate, this type of commitment is not something we see. Nonetheless, God, it's, it's, it's what you desire. And so I pray that you would help us to continue to pursue it for the rest of our lives. Help us to be devoted, to be steadfastly, persevering, ready for this. And uh, resolve it in our hearts, God, to be that way. But for the person in this room that's hurting, the truth is when we open ourselves up in friendships, we, su- we are susceptible to getting hurt. And we are sinful people, and we hurt each other. And, uh, and God, it's inevitable and, and, and I hate that it is, but it is. But nonetheless, Father, I pray that our hurt and our pain would not keep us from this. I think about you, Jesus. You know what it feels like to be betrayed by your friends. Jesus, you know what it feels like to be denied by your friends. And yet the Bible tells us that you, even knowing that you were gonna be denied and betrayed, you continued to serve your friends washing their feet. And I pray that we practice your example, that we be committed to friendships in this level. So transform our hearts, transform our community. We pray these things in Jesus' name.